Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is our last Sunday in this facility. I just want to like, let that sink in for a second. This is it. If you, you found it today, good job. Good luck finding us next week. As I, as I kind of, I was joking with someone that I'm not a, a super sentimental person, but it is, it is incredibly profound to me that, that, that God has allowed us to live for these last seven years, eight months in this space and that he's given us a new space to be in. And so I don't ever want to take for granted the, the gifts that he's given us, the grace he's shown us in this time. And so I'm just going to pray, thanking him for this space, and then we'll, we'll dig into 1 Corinthians. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done in and through us for your name alone here at Rev in this space, God. We thank you for the, the teachers that we've come in contact with. We thank you for the ways in which we were to try to show your gospel to them. God, we know that you, you have set this time for us, and we, I'm just amazed at what you've accomplished over these last seven years, eight months. And God, I just pray, I pray for more. I pray for more people to, to know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray for, for more followers to be more invested and deeply um, rooted in your word. I pray for discipleship. God, I just pray that we wouldn't use this as an excuse to get lazy in what you've commanded or called us to do in this space as we go forward. But I pray that you would um, just just... Continue to push us to be more and more like your son, Jesus, God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the ability to be in the space for so long, for so inexpensive. It's just such a gift, and it's allowed us to do so many things uh, for your kingdom purposes. And we just pray that you'd continue to do that in and through us as we move forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we were in uh, 1 Corinthians. Last week, we were at our camp out. Thank you for everyone that came up for the service. That was awesome. We had four baptisms, which was just super fun. Two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians, we set up this, we kind of set this chapter where we said, look, chapter 6 is going to dig, dig into some things that we had to set some ground rules. And so we had to remind ourselves of those few things that God is holy and that sin is a really big deal and that discipline is, is intended to be redemptive and, and, and restorative in people's lives and that the scripture is what we are to be fully submitted to. And in, in that section, we learned that there is a response in which we are to have when we see a believer, a professed follower of Jesus operating within sin. And what he was talking to the Corinthian church about was specifically the, the fact that they weren't responding in the way that, that we should as believers respond when a brother or sister is in sin. And really, if you think about it, this, this section of Corinthians is a lot like the Sermon on the Mount for Jesus, where Jesus comes in, sets on scene, and then he, he does this whole Sermon on the Mount where he's like, you have heard, but I tell you. You have heard, but I tell you. And he continues to, to try and to reorient all of his followers' understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and what it means to be a child of God. And he's trying to turn everything that kind of got turned upside down right side up. This section is essentially what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, to do this very same thing in the church in Corinth. Saying, look, there's, there's all kinds of issues. He spent four chapters talking about division in the church, and then he hits to these subjects, which today are the most divisive in the church. We are not to be divided, we are to be a church. And then he digs into this stuff where he's saying, look, as a church, as the Holy Spirit, as the temple of God, what you are collectively, he's going to get into how individually we are the temple of God as well. That's, that's a little bit further. But as the temple of God, as followers of Jesus, we are to look and operate different than this world. 
we shouldn't be so conformed to this world. We shouldn't be so, so camouflaged by this world that people have no idea that we are followers of Jesus. In fact, we should stand in opposition to this world, not looking for a fight, not looking to be a jerk to people, but our operations with our finances and with our, with our sexuality and everything that we do should look different and not accepted to this world because this world is not following Jesus Christ. And that's what the church of Corinth was wrestling with. And so he's, he's digging in, he's saying, look, there's issues here in this church that are so big and so, so ugly and so profound because when people from the outside look at the church, they don't see anything different. In Corinth, they could walk down the street and go to the McDonald's or they could go to the church and they would see the exact same operation happening, is what he's saying. There should be a difference. And the truth is, is that it's the same for us today. And, and here's the thing, the, the more and more we look like Jesus and the more and more we surrender to Scripture, the more and more hostile the world will be to us. And that's something we have to settle in. This is why Jesus says, count the cost to follow me. Die to yourself daily. It's not an easy road. It's wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And only few find it. The scriptures are very, very clear. But we, being stuck in this broken, broken world, can get pummeled by this world and by everything else that comes at us. And pretty soon, we cave, we buckle. There will always be catastrophic consequences when we divorce any aspect of our lives as believers from the church and give ourselves to the world. Let me say that again. There will always be catastrophic consequences when we divorce any aspect of our lives as believers from the covering of the church and turn to the world. When we rely on the wisdom of the world, we move ourselves further and further and further away from the wisdom of God. That is the truth. Think about it this way. When the world tells us we should be happy, do what makes you happy. This is something that, that we would have on motivational posters in our offices just, just be happy. You need to be happy. Do what you love. Be happy. But yet Jesus says everlasting joy comes from obeying him alone. Not some cheap version of happiness. Not some cheap version. He says, you want joy? Abide in me. Remain in my commandments. Listen to my words. Stop seeking the world for joy. You won't find it there. When we get these two blended, which is what the church does today, when we misconstrue everlasting joy for happiness, we get something like this, where it says, we, we say and believe things that God really does want us to be happy. So we date who we want, we eat and drink what we want, and when it clashes with Scripture, we call it an exercising of freedom in Christ. That's how those get blended. I do this with my kids. I want my kids to be happy, but do I really want to give them everything they want? And if we don't get out of that, if we don't blend that and, and misconstrue and think that God's joy can be achieved by happiness and things, we get a blended thing that ultimately what ends up happening is then we, the church of God, look exactly like the world that we're operating in that we are not of. And that's where he's going. The world tells us that we should work really hard at making sure we are comfortable and have everything we want. We've we got to get our 401ks in place. We've got to have extra retirement. We've got to save for colleges. We've got to do all these things. And I'm not saying that these are bad, but the world says we should work so hard that we should ignore our role in the church and our, our operation in, in serving with God and giving to God, and we should, we should store up more for ourselves. This is what the world tells us. And Christ says, sell everything and give to the poor and follow me. We have to see the incongruence there because when they get blended, Here's what happens. We work really, really hard and then give 10% and feel like we're doing enough. And that's just not the way that Christ says it. He says, no, it's not just a percentage of our life. It's all of our lives. Our life should be about providing Christ to this broken world. 
and provision to our families will come secondary to that. It's still valuable. God talks about doing that. I'm not saying it's not. But when we blend those things, we start looking like the world. It's not a compliment if every single coworker you have has no idea that you are part of following Jesus Christ. That's not a compliment that you blend in that well. Because to live faithful and obedient to Scripture, you're going to clash with this world. Like we talked about two weeks ago, we should be grieved. I mean, grieved by the brokenness that's around us. It shouldn't be, oh, well, that stinks for them, sucks to be them. It should break our hearts that people are so far from what God designed for us to live and how we live. It should, it should, just, it should just bring us to our knees. The world tells us we should be accepting of everything and that there are many ways to Jesus. And Jesus says the road is narrow, the path is hard, and few will find it. When these get blended, we start trying to rewrite the way we understand Scripture to make it fit our agendas so that we can look like we're more loving than a God who is the most loving God of all. This is what happens when we, when we give ourselves to this world. Hear me on this, please. I'm not saying that today you need to get up and you need to just go be a total jerk to every single person out there. That is not what Christ commands of us. But when you submit your life to Christ, you said, I'm all in. You gave yourself to him. And when the world asks of something different, they're going to be completely disappointed by the fact that you stand true to who God is. And that will cause an uprising. That will cause a fight. That will cause a quarrel. That will cause you not being accepted, you being condemned. These should be expected of followers of Jesus. We don't have the right to make ignorant decisions based on the world's wisdom as followers of Jesus. And here's why I say we don't have a right. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you were bought with a price. A very, very expensive price. It was the life of Jesus Christ. You've been, you've been paid for. You've been redeemed. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You're, you're continuing to be sanctified. You're being, you've been deemed holy, and you stand in the throne room of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has done everything that is necessary for us to stand holy before God. So we don't have the right to give ourselves this way. The more and more and more I go on, no matter what we, what we as a church have lost sight on, or what our purpose is, why are we here? What are we doing? It is our lives and the rest of the way we live. The more and more we go, we realize that, that if we don't stand true, if we don't walk this narrow path, then unfortunately we're telling people about a God that doesn't exist because we've dumped him down. We've, we've minimized grace. We've, we've, we've taken away something that's so profound and so big and so powerful, and we've just minimized it. And so the first way that the Apostle Paul digs into the way that the church in Corinth, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, the first way that he digs in saying, you guys look too much like the world, is this idea of lawsuits. And that's where we are today. That's the scripture. It's that you can't, you, you can't keep operating the way that it's going. So in Corinth in this day, people would litigate for virtually everything. I mean, anything and everything, because a lot of people didn't own property in this day. At this time, most of it was the, the wealthy where they were doing there. But basically, because they would always hire someone to do something for them, there was always a, hey, I did this, but I didn't get paid. There wasn't any of this contract stuff that we have today necessarily, and there wasn't all these, this, this government kind of protecting that. It was just this, hey, I, was, I did this wage. It, it was supposed to be 10 bucks, and you only gave me 5 bucks. And so they would just go to the courts, and the courts would deal with this. And they would just go over and over and over again. And I want, I want to be really clear. The Apostle Paul isn't saying that the court system is, is, is horrible. In fact, we see all over in Acts 13, 18, 19, 22 through 24, and 29, the Apostle Paul pleads or uses the court to some extent. So he's not saying it's a horrible thing. What he's talking about is how we, as the church of God, as the children of God, are to operate within this world when it comes to lawsuits. And that's, 
That's where we are today. So chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that, that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to, the light, to this life? So if you, have, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brothers goes, bro, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So he's, he's talking about the fact that what was happening in the church of Corinth, again, this is a church that was immensely divided. So it kind of makes sense. And then if you've ever spent any time around any kind of lawsuit, most of the time, I, I, I can't say this with confidence because I didn't do any research on it, but most of the time, the two people that are fighting each other aren't best friends afterwards. The, the settlement doesn't really make it like, oh, okay, everything's great. You took everything or I took half. Like no one's ever happy at the end of it. It creates more factions and more division in your life. Families get torn because of lawsuits and, 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 and friends get just divided because of these things. And so what was happening is, is Corinth was going to, the, to the, the Roman law instead of the church to settle all of the things that were these trivial things inside the church where it was like, hey, I don't like this person and they aren't treating me well. It's like, that's essentially what they're doing. It's like two kids saying we can't share a toy and having parents kind of step in. That's basically what he's saying. These are trivial things that you're dividing and you're going before the world's court. Saying, shouldn't you settle these within? Verse one shows Paul's indignant to this. I mean, he's, he's really mad because the way that it's written dare is actually the first word in the sentence. It's like, do you dare do this? Are you, are you, are you kidding me? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. How, how is this okay for you? He's baffled, as baffled as he was when we talked about the guy that was staying with his mother or sleeping with his mother-in-law a few, two weeks ago. Like, what, what has gotten into you? How do you even see this is right? Why are you doing this situation? In Jewish law, the, the church settled these things. You can see all of Leviticus and all the things Moses set up and, and settling all the matters within the church. It was meant to be done by the church. And he's saying, you dare take your brothers to the world's court before unrighteous? Now, he's not saying that they were unfair in their, their statements. In fact, it was a pretty intricate and elaborate and, and impressive law system for, for Rome to have. But what he's saying is that they were basing all of their laws based on the world standard, not on God's. So they're making their decisions between matters, not by what the Holy Spirit through another believer as the temple of God would do, but as someone that would just look at wisdom of this world. And so it's, we've deemed, spent a lot of time recognizing that wisdom of this world is foolish to God. And so he's saying, man, he's just upset. So when he says unrighteous or ungodly, he's saying these are people that don't have the Spirit of God. They're not followers of Jesus. And we're submitting ourselves into this system and giving ourselves on grievances that should be settled amongst believers. Remember when I said when we divorce any aspect of our lives from the church, we get in trouble. This day and age, I mean, in, in America, we have a pretty intricate law system that we are to follow and we submit and we kind of give ourselves to. But when we start there, instead of giving ourselves to the wisdom of God's church, we get in trouble. That's what he's saying here. 
Verses two through four kind of, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they will exercise judgment over the world. Now that's out of Daniel 7, 22, where we see that happening. But we also see in Matthew, Jesus says the same thing. And then Revelations 20, verse four, we see it show up again, where the saints, the followers of Jesus will stand in a position to judge what? Not each other, but the world. We'll stand before that. We see that in scripture. Now, why do we not give ourselves more to that in this text? I don't think that's the point of this text. Just like it says we'll, we'll stand and, and judge angels, this isn't necessarily an end-time text. He's trying to make a point from the greater to lesser, saying if, if as followers of Jesus, someday we will stand in a spot where we will judge the world. Why? Because we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Then how can we not deal with the little pedally, like trivial things that you guys have amongst each other? Why can't, oh, like, really, you're going you're gonna to fight over some property? You're going you're gonna to fight over a couple dollars that ultimately will burn up anyways? Why, why, are you, why are you doing these things? So he, he argues like he's done all through Corinthians from the greater to lesser. If we're going to do it with angels. Now, there's no real clear understanding as to whether or not this is all angels or just the fallen angels. Again, we can see in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 that we are going to judge angels. That's the fallen angels. That kind of makes sense here. But again, I don't think that's the point of this text. I think he's just trying to land effect with basically helping them see just how ridiculous it is and how much they look like the world with the way in which they're operating with each other. So I don't think that's necessarily what this, this text is talking about. And if you just kind of try to take it out of this text, you'd, you'd have to really kind of bring it together with a lot of other texts to make a lot of sense of that. And so he's just saying, look, you are going to stand in a spot. You have, because of Christ's spirit, because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, you have wisdom that is far beyond your experiences, far beyond anything this world can offer. Why in the world then would you turn to the world to settle disputes within the church? Why would you do that? And then he, he gets a little bit harsher in, in verse 5, 6. He says, I, I, I say this to shame you. Now, we talked about shame back in chapter 4. This isn't the shame as, of embarrassment. This is the shame of turning someone to their confusion, giving themselves to that, helping them see, like, do you realize what you've done? I'm turning you so you can recognize and feel the consequences of your choices, which will create in you a shameful experience when you see just how far off the beaten path you are. He says, I'm doing this. And he, he goes on and says, he says, is there no one wise enough? Is there no one wise enough to, to, to settle these matters for you? Is there, is there no one among you wise enough? Which would have been a massive slap across the face to the Corinthian people. Because if you remember, part of the issue was that they, they thought themselves as wiser than him or Apollos or anyone else was teaching them. They felt like they had reached this level in enlightenment, so much higher in wisdom that there was nothing that could touch them. And so when he says, there's no one around you that can actually deal with the property struggle between a, a, a a master and a slave or, or between two people in a household, like there's no one in you that's wise enough to do that? I mean, he's, he's being fairly feisty in his writing here, slapping him across the face saying, you, you've, you've turned to the court system. Christians should look different than the world. You should look different than the world. So what do we do with lawsuits today then as Christians? Well, um, I do believe, like I said, there are certain things that because of us submitting to every governing authority, there are things that we will have to submit to lawsuits in that way. But, but let me just say this. I feel like if we really were operating the way that I think the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit again here, is telling us to do, and the way that we see the, the children of God doing in, in Israel and the way that's expected of the church, I really think that a lot of the grievances that we as believers have should be dealt with within the church. I'm not saying you come to me and be like, Bren's going to tell me the verdict. No, I'm talking about the church, the temple of God. 
we should be able to handle these things together. We should be able to work on these things together as believers. So if there's, a, if there's an issue with another believer, then we should be able to do it. Now here's why that doesn't happen. Because when you get upset about another believer, you don't even deal with that, you run, let alone a lawsuit. Like when we get, when we get I just, I, I'm really uncomfortable in this, in this gospel community and I just, I don't feel like I'm getting what I need. So we just leave. We don't ever even sit in that and let the church say, well, hang on, let's, let's figure out why. Is this, is this a spirit doing something? Is this, is this a heart thing? Is there a sanctification that's needed in you? Like, like there's not even that level most of the time for us as a church. We just abandon. We just run. So why in the world, if there was actually something that had dollar figures on it, would we even start with the church? Why would we even think about that? The other reason why this is an issue is because most of us, when it comes to dollar figures, and this is a broad generalization, so please don't take this all the way through. But most of us have so much pride and most of us realize a lot of times the reason why we're chasing after these grievances, these lawsuits, is because we're selfish. And if we actually sat before the church, we don't like what we would hear. We wouldn't like them to say, well, have you thought about just letting yourself be wronged here? Have you, have you thought about just walking away from it altogether? A friend of mine had a business deal go completely wrong recently where the company didn't disclose everything they were doing. The company wasn't, wasn't believers or in any way, shape, or form. And um, he was talking to me about it and sharing some ideas of what he was going to do and, and just kind of talking out loud. I didn't really ever disclose anything else, but, but I found out afterwards. I was like, so whatever happened with that? And he's like, oh, I, I upheld the contract even though I didn't go with them. I'm like, wait, so what? He's like, yeah, I, I, paid, I paid the whole contract, the whole two years of the contract, even though I didn't use them, and I went with someone else. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. This was thousands of dollars. He said, it's, not, it's just not worth it because I represent Christ. That's counter to this world. Some of you in here are going, why would they do that? It's such a waste of money. They're just going to use it on something pagan anyways. Like, that's not, that's not the point. That's what it looks like for us. To look different than the world is to say, I don't, I'm not going to fight over stuff with a believer because I care more about this brother or sister in Christ than I do about my stuff. And many of you, I understand, many of you in your lives, you may have lost immense things because someone has done this. I would argue from this text that you did what God was commanding of you. And I understand that's hard. But he goes on, he says, wouldn't you rather be wronged? This friend of mine was even dealing with a company that wasn't believers. So he could have easily said, well, they're not believers and I'm right and everything's in writing. And he was, he was right. He could have easily walked away from it. But he believed too much in the character of God and the, and the, the, the mission of Jesus Christ to even potentially taint Jesus Christ's name. Now, I talked to one of this person's employees. <laughs> you should have seen what it did on this man's heart. He was baffled by a boss that would submit himself so much to the Lord that he would do something that would cost him that much money. Guys, this is what it should look like. It's sad to me that those are the rare stories that we have. And normally what we get is what? Public domain of churches fighting over each other. It becomes scrutinized amongst the world. We should be willing to be wronged and defrauded. Now, some of you may have been pulled into lawsuits. I want to encourage you to seek counsel from believers, not just legal counsel, although legal counsel know how to navigate this legal system. You came and asked me how to do that, I'd be like, I have no idea, but I can tell you what scripture says in this situation. But there's two reasons why he says this and why he goes there. And I think this is, we, we, we can't miss this because this is, I think, this is counter to who we are as American Christians. If we're, if we're just going to follow the Lord, we got to see these two things. There's two truths. One is we need to care more about our brother than our, than our possessions. That means, that means that, that if, our, if our brother or sister in Christ is, is, is coming at us with something, we need to care more about them than the something they're after. And that's, that, to me, is a position of, 
opposition to this world. That to me is a position that many people, family members, other Christians say, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? Don't be defrauded. Don't take those things. But that's what he's saying. He's saying it's better for you to be wrong because even the fact that you went to court, you've already been defeated. You've lost. The second thing, and this is one that I think we as, as Christians in the church today need to hear so badly, is he says, look, the way in which we operate is going to either show the world how profound and beautiful Jesus is or minimize him or diminish him to just something else in this world for people to go after. When we, when we as followers of Jesus, as professed followers of Jesus, choose to step out and start suing or going into lawsuits with each other, or let's just minimize it down, maybe not all of you in lawsuits, when we choose to just fight amongst ourselves, we show this world that Christ is divided, and that is not possible. And that's where he's going in this text, guys, is that, is that everything that we go through, through all the, all the laundry list of things that people are like going, ooh, when are we going to go? When are we going to get there? Thanks for that, right? But when we get to those things, every single one of those things are ways in which the church has divided, has turned against the church. We are to be witnessing to this world how we are to operate as Jesus Christ. You know, in Acts 2, everyone says, I want to be a church of followers of Jesus, and everyone's like, I want to be an Acts 2 church, and like, man, no one has need. Everyone's giving everything, surrendering it all, and it's all being taken care of, and every pastor to this day goes, that's never, ever going to be possible because we care too much about our stuff. I don't even know if I'm trustworthy for everyone to do those things, but either way, every single person wants to be an Acts 2 church, and the reason why isn't because no one had need. It's because we see the world looks and goes, I want to be a part of that. Are we operating with each other in a way that the world could look at us and go, I want, I want some of that. That doesn't make any sense. That seems counterintuitive, but yet there's a joy there, not a cheap happiness. They don't have the security that the world would tell them, but they have the security in Christ that is just unshakable, unbreakable. I, I want some of that. The reason why we shouldn't be taking brothers and sisters to lawsuit is because it shows the world that we're no different than the world. That's the second reason why. We should care more about our brother than our stuff. But the second reason why is because when we go to the courts of the world with another believer, we basically tell the world that we're no different than the world. And it affects our witness. Going to the law changes relationships for the worse as well. Acquaintances or even family members become adversaries, and the drive for victory replaces the hope of reconciliation. If the members involved in the dispute included leaders of the congregation, which is, is not unlikely given the Corinthians' reluctance to intervene, the situation would have been all the worse. And that's what was happening as the leaders. The, the prominent people were operating in this way in the church in Corinth. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 gives us an idea, I think, on how we are to operate with one another. So he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection of sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So he's saying, look, if Christ is real in your life, if the Spirit is active in you, if these things are, are present in you, then, then do me this favor. Then complete my joy by being of the same mind. Why? By not being divided, having the same love, being in full accord and one of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. As maybe we should just memorize those few words. Do nothing from selfish, amb selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. When's the last time that you can say you made it a day without doing that or a week without doing that? Lawsuits, even if it's like, this is my property, this is my stuff, selfish ambition in that. He goes on and says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
this is the reason why there's grievances amongst people is because you believe you're higher than them. He's saying, no, 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 reverse that. In humility, think of them as greater than you, as more valuable as you. So when you take possessions of this world, when you take things that would cause us to, to go to, to litigation for, and you start seeing those things, if you view yourself higher than this person, you view you, you deserve more. If you went, no, this person's greater than me, you'd walk away from it. I say, the, the money isn't worth this. Yeah, it may set me up for a horrible situation. I may be broke for the rest of my life, but at least I know that I never, ever did it out of selfish ambition. It goes on and says, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What would it look like if we just stopped, or we just stopped only looking to ourselves and our own interests? And started trying to see the interests of others. What, what would it mean for us to look with the, uh, our eyes a little bit more open? There have been nasty divorces, nasty divorces. And, and, and one of the things that, that perplexes me in any kind of divorce situation, and I, as, as a pastor, I usually get involved once it's really too late. It's like, hey, by the way, we're getting divorced. It's like, wow, man, it would have been great to have been involved earlier on. But what's amazing to me is two professing believers can be so, so far from what Christ commands of them in the way they are. Just taking divorce out of it for a second, even though I don't think you can, right? Just in the way they operate with each other is just ugly. It's ugly. And he says, how, this, is, this is why and how. This is how he pleased to it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, have this mind. It's, it's ours. We can have this because it's, been our, it's ours in Christ Jesus. It's to, it's to have this mind. It's, it's that Jesus, even though, who was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, we must be willing to die. This is, this is what is it. Take this mind on. Have this thing. Jesus, who was equal to God, didn't even call it a thing to be grasped. He's fully God. And he said, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even worthy to call myself equal to God. And he's saying, this is the mind that we should have, which is interesting because the scriptures teach us that as followers of Jesus, we are co-heirs with Christ. We're equal with Christ. So he says, we're going to judge the world with Christ. He's saying, take this mind. We shouldn't even consider ourselves. We should have this humble mind. Therefore, God did what in that humility? He has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This isn't just an inspirational scripture. This is what he's asking us to be. And he's given us the way to do it through Jesus Christ and his spirit indwelling in us. So would you be willing to be wronged? Let me, let me just say that differently. Would you be willing to be wrong? And would you have humility about you? If you want to know, if like, you're like, I've never had to do a lawsuit. I've never been in a lawsuit. Like, I've never had to do that. I wonder if I would, I wonder how I would operate that. If that's your question, how do you operate when there's a grievance with another brother or sister in the church? Do you ignore them? Do you run from them? Do you hope you don't run into them in public? Do you do that? I had someone once tell me this. They saw me and they hid from me. They told me that later on. I was like, oh, I didn't know. You hid well. Good job. That's, if you don't operate that way in these things, do you really think that when money, real estate, possessions get on the thing, that you're going to operate that way? What would it look like for us to be willing to be wronged? What's interesting is that Jesus solved our case outside of court. Did you ever think about that? We, we didn't have to go to court. We didn't have to stand before God. He, he took care of it without it ever having to go to court. He said, I'm going I'm to go to the cross on their behalf before they even have to stand before God. 
at the risk of judgment. If we're going to be like Christ, I feel like we should work a little bit harder to settle things outside of court, settle things as brothers and sisters. Another aspect of this is that I think really what, what is, has ruined this, and this is free and I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but we ought to be the most forgiving people in the world. I mean, if we have the Spirit of God in us, it doesn't matter what he or she has done to you. As the child of God that has experienced the grace of God, being forgiven your sins, we ought to be the most forgiving people in the world. You know, if my friend in that business situation had happened, if, they, if he came up and he's like, I hate them, I'm going to talk bad about them all the time, like, would that have really been a win? I mean, maybe you'd say, I'm not going to necessarily try and use their business again. It'd probably be wise. But as Christians, we should be so forgiving that even when someone takes something that is rightfully ours and they're in the wrong and they did it with ill intent, we should still be forgiving people. The second thing, and we can't, again, we can't take this section of Scripture and divorce it from what's just prior to this, if there's a follower of Jesus that is like feeding on other Christians, we're to deal with that person as well. Within the church, we're to talk to that person. We're to, we're to, to, to pursue that person. We're to, to have those conversations with each other. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna continue to worship. As we settle into this season, we're gonna spend a, f- a few weeks um, talking about a couple different things and then we'll jump back into Corinthians in July. But as we settle into this stuff, I wanna, I wanna challenge you guys to do something with me. I wanna, I wanna encourage you to do something with me. I wanna encourage you to just to start reading through the next couple chapters, over and over and over again. Just, just commit a day, every day you're just going to read through those chapters. And I want, I want to ask you this question. If, if the Lord was standing there right next to you, and he was saying, hey, these are, these are areas that you would be characterized by, or these areas you struggle with, like, would, you, would you be willing to see the things in your life that don't line up to Scripture and submit yourself to him? Would you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, tired of, I'm tired of being a bitter and angry person when the Scripture calls for us to not be bitter and angry. Would you, would you submit yourself to the Spirit? Because here's the thing. No matter how difficult or hard or horrible your situation is, the Spirit is strong enough to conquer it. He's not lacking power. You're just lacking submission. And would you just give yourself that? If there's, if, there's a, if there's something right now that's festering a grievance with another believer that you have, whether it's something you believe that's true or not true, whether it is true, would you be willing to, to do what the world wouldn't do, which is seek out reconciliation and not wait for the other person to be a part of it? especially if it's a believer, if it's another professing believer, even if their, their actions seem so contrary to what a follower of Jesus is, if they're professing believers, you are to go to them. And if there's anything in this section of Scripture as we start digging into it, anything that you're like, man, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that, I don't know how I like that, would you, just, would you just get on your knees before the Lord and say, just, just reveal your truth to me? Because he is faithful to do that. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. The door will be answered. The opened, you'll be answered. You can get these things from him. Pure and undefiled wisdom comes from above. The only reason why we don't have it is because we don't ask for it. So would you, would you give yourselves to this process? Would you see the areas in which you realize you've been living so much like the world that people would look at you, Jesus would look at you and go, you don't, I know you're my son, I know you're my daughter, but, but, but the way you're acting isn't true to that. In this situation, you seem like you're just, you're just going through the motions as if that's okay. Would you, would you surrender to him? Would you be ferociously obedient to God? Would you be willing to sacrifice everything you have for the sake of his kingdom? Because there's nothing more value to invest in than his kingdom. Nothing comes close to that. We pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for settling our case out of court. I thank you that I didn't have to stand before God 
and, and receive the judgment and the wrath that I so deserve. Father, forgive us for viewing things as more important than people. Forgive us for viewing um, finances or property or any of those other things as more valuable than a brother or sister. God, forgive us for the ways in which we have operated like this world so much so that it's caused damage to your name. Father, I pray that we would be a people that, that see the value and the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit only through you above in us and would be able to, to seek that out with one another despite what we may fear they may say, despite with the fact that we may not want to go to another believer because we're afraid that they're going to tell us what we already know we're not supposed to be doing. But God, would you give us the, the, the boldness, the faith to step out and to walk in obedience to you. Father, for the individuals that are in here that have maybe settled a, a court out of, maybe they've settled some kind of difference with another believer in the court system and it's over, God, I pray that you would give them clarity on maybe if there's a conversation that needs to happen there. God, I pray whatever damages may have been done to your kingdom, I pray that your work would come around that and reconcile. God, forgive us for dividing. Forgive us for, for letting the world speak so loudly and losing your voice in it. God, forgive us for for wanting to um, seek justification or, or vengeance or, or retribution for ourselves. God, forgive us for, for chasing those things when, when you say vengeance is yours. And when ultimately, um, I'm not going to stand before you and you're not going to be like, oh, great, here's your boat and your house and all these other things. You're going to just talk about the things I did for your kingdom. And so I just pray, God, I pray that you would give us the ability to, to surrender to you even when it means we could lose everything because we have everything in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.